0: Are you standing on a rock? That means you must be standing firm, living with conviction. That's the the application of that truth. You're the rock I stand on. We return to our series, The Life of Jesus. Everybody has their books, right? Are you reading them? Are you reading the notes? The notes are good, aren't they? Now, the notes aren't divinely inspired, but the notes are good and they're helpful. So I urge you, remember, eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ, the one he sent. So this series is so that we would know Christ, and by knowing Christ, we know God as well. That's what eternal life consists of. It's a relationship. Today's message is entitled, New Birth. And the word new or the phrase new birth is synonymous with several other phrases born again, converted, regenerated, all of those are synonymous terms. So, today, in today's message, I'll deal with becoming a new creation. That's another synonymous term. Take out your outline if you haven't already. Your message program. And there on the top of the outline. Is therefore if anyone. Who? Does that include you? Does that include you Chambers? If anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Now that word he is a masculine pronoun. But it's an inclusive pronoun pronoun so it means she is a new creation are you a new creation old things have passed away and look new things have come is that verse true of you have you become brand new do you remember when you changed have you been born again That's what it means. John 3, we begin. And we'll be in reading 28 on 38 and 39 all morning. There was a man from the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were a religious party, there were several others. You know any others? Sadducees. That's right. The Pharisees were sad, you see. (laughs) So there were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and there's one more. Well, there's two more, actually. Essenes. They were lived by the Dead Sea and they did wrote the Dead Sea scrolls. But there were also the zealots. There were four. Four parties. In Hebrew, Pharisee meant separated ones. And the Pharisees were real motivated. They were real diligent in obeying the Mosaic law, but also their own oral traditions. So their rabbis had added in a whole lot of other rules on how you can be righteous. People love to give each other rules, don't they? They opposed all of the Greek influence that was coming in. Because see you had the Greeks and you had the Romans who conquered the area. But Romans actually had a Greek influence as well. And so they resisted all that outside influence. And there were, there were only about 6,000 of them at the time of this, uh, that this is focused on. But they exercised a lot of influence particularly on the common people. So there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus. That's actually a Greek name, but he was a Jewish man. A ruler of the Jews. Now being a ruler of the Jews means that he was was part of the... He was part of the Supreme Court, which is called what? Sanhedrin. There were 71 judges... It's descended from the, you know, when Jethro told Moses, you need some helpers. And they they gathered a group of men to help make these decisions. But there were 71 members of the Jewish ruling council. One being the high priest who ruled over it. And they had powers over civil, criminal, and religious matters in the country. But they did not have one power under criminal law. You know what it was? Could not crucify. John 18, 31. And and we know when that becomes very important. Because of their painstaking approach to obeying the law, the Pharisees became very external oriented in their faith. Very ritualized. It became things they did. It became mechanical. And so they focused on outward behavior... Instead of inner change of heart. Verse 2 This man came to Jesus at night. Wonder why? Didn't want anybody to see. I think you're right. He didn't want to imply that he was following Jesus or even endorsing him because of his stature. And he said, Rabbi, which he, get, he was giving Jesus respect because Jesus was not formally trained as a rabbi. You know, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one could perform these signs you do, he meant miracles, unless God were with him. Now Nicodemus is impressed by either what he's seen or what he's heard about these miracles that Jesus performed and even the teaching that he'd heard about. So he was convinced that this power that he wields must have come from God. He may have, and I think very likely, he wondered whether Jesus was this expected Messiah, but he doesn't say that. Believing that Jesus was from God and may even be the Messiah, was not sufficient for saving faith. For Nicodemus or for us. Here's where we have some misunderstanding about the gospel. Accepting facts about Jesus, which Nicodemus did, even believing his identity as God's son, does not equate with new birth. It's not the same as being born again. I was talking to a young person this week about this matter and this person said to me that she had been saved many times that's too many times but but understand this the way we've been propagating the good news had misled this young woman because we've said you pray this prayer or you walk this aisle and you get baptized you're saved that's not equal to salvation you see what i'm saying and so jesus is presenting this to nicodemus but i'm presenting it to you and to me on the screen is a verse for us to begin 2 corinthians 13:5 test yourselves to see if you are in the faith Examine yourselves. Isn't that interesting? Our, cult, our religious culture says don't ever question your salvation. It's not what the scripture says. Better to be sure is what the scripture says. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves or, or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus is in you unless you fail the test. So we need to be answering, asking these Questions. So this morning we consider the nature of new birth. And we begin from this text. And we begin by, with the requirement of new birth. See, Nicodemus is really kind of praising Jesus. You know, he, he, he's not attacking him. He's not criticizing him. He says, well, we know that you must have come from God with all these signs you're performing. Jesus isn't even interested in that discussion. Jesus isn't interested in trying to convince Nicodemus. He's not trying to validate his identity. Rather, he speaks to Nicodemus about what his need is. See, Nicodemus comes as telling Jesus, well, we th- you know, everybody... A lot of people are doubting you, but I think you came from God. See, he's, he's paying a compliment. Jesus flips it. He didn't say it ugly, but he just essentially implies, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in you. At, at John 3, 3, Jesus replied, I assure you, Unless someone is born again, he cannot see or enter or experience the kingdom of God. God's kingdom exists now. But it's an invisible kingdom. Any of us who are born again are living in that kingdom. It's a spirit world that God rules in. And it's composed of people who are born again. Who belong to God. Who possess a spiritual nature that can be in relationship to him. You can know some information without being born again. But you can't be in relationship with him. And communicate with him. The new birth or or regeneration, again synonymous terms. Is the act of God by which he imparts eternal life. Now, Jews all thought they had this eternal life. They were all part of the kingdom of God. <coughs> but on the basis of what? Well, first, they're descendants of Abraham. They observed or obeyed the law. They performed external religious rituals, particularly circumcision. And that those things, doing those things, would gain admission into God's kingdom. External things, all of them, aren't they? And we have our own set of external things. But but in, the, in a Baptist church or, or, a, or a charismatic or Pentecostal church, it's usually walk in an aisle, pray in a prayer, being baptized. If your background was Catholic, you had more. You had more... Observances. Nicodemus. Well, who do you think Nicodemus really did obey the law? Who thinks he did? Are y'all asleep, David? We need to we need to start service earlier, and then you warm them up for a while. Who thinks Nicodemus obeyed the law diligently? Thank you. I need little boy or girl, I can't tell. I need you up here. See, the issue is not, I think he was very diligent. He was certainly interested in in the things of God. Or he wouldn't have been out there at night trying to see Jesus. I think he was dutiful. I think he was meticulous. But Jesus is informing him that doesn't qualify for admission. And then Jesus made it clear that personal renewal through new birth was essential to enter God's kingdom. Now, if you were Nicodemus, how would you have responded? What do you think? Would you have liked what was being told to you? I don't think so. Perhaps. At least startled. Possibly offended. Certainly confused. By what Jesus said. So he inquires further. How can anyone be born when he's old? Any of you thinking that? Well how can you really be born again? Again. See, sometimes we gloss over this and act like, oh, I got that. This is the deepest issue in the whole scripture. How can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus answered, I assure you. Unless someone is born of water and spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now there's some debate about what that means. Many believe that that born of water in the spirit. That born of water is a reference to physical birth. Amniotic fluid. Women get up in the middle of the night like my daughter three weeks ago. My water broke. Everyone agrees that born of the Spirit means spiritual rebirth by the Holy Spirit. Others think that born of water and Spirit refers to spiritual cleansing and renewal. Look at this in Ezekiel 36 on the screen. Now, this is an Old Testament prophet. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. That's the covenant. I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. And here's a New Testament verse that I want you to see. Titus. He saved us not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal or being born again by the Holy Spirit. So what do you think? Is it physical birth and spiritual birth? Is that water in the Spirit? Or is it the washing of cleansing and the regeneration by the Spirit? You want to know what I think? You know I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Jesus continued at John 3, 6. Whoever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever, I mean, is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Humans can only begat humanity. Flesh can only give birth to flesh. How do you get this spiritual nature that lives forever in eternity? You weren't born with it physically. You have to be gifted it by someone that possesses it. The Spirit of God is gifted to you. You see that? Only the Holy Spirit can produce a spiritual nature, a transformation within us. Even if physical rebirth were possible, and Hindus believe it is in reincarnation, it would only again produce human flesh that would still be subject to sin, that would still be incapable of entering heaven. And that's what's being told to Nicodemus. Regeneration is the Spirit's work unaided by human effort. John 1, 12 and 13. Not born of a human decision, but born of the Spirit. Now here's what I think. We've been talking about Satan in the last few weeks. I think Satan wants us and our culture to believe that we can access God on our own terms and our own time. So we just relax about it. It's like God is a vending machine and he's just waiting on you to put in your quarter. I don't find that in the scripture. And I don't find it in this discussion with Nicodemus. The Bible's clear. We cannot save ourselves. We must be born again by the Holy Spirit. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Are you born again? Are you born again? That's life's most important question. We're all in a look, we want to look also at the reality of new birth. Jesus explained how regeneration happens. Verse 8, it begins. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, you know, it's important when we study the Scripture to see what Jesus said and to ask, what didn't he say? He didn't give Nicodemus a mechanical path to walk on, did he? He didn't say, pray this prayer, get baptized, He didn't didn't give him something to do because Jesus is teaching him this is a work of God's Spirit within you. Now it's interesting here, the words wind and spirit are the same in both Hebrew and Greek. But but another, another word that's the same is breath. So, like the song this morning was, The breath of life is yours. That's absolutely true. You can't see the wind coming, can you? Can you control it? I mean, you can turn on a fan, but can you feel its effects? Can you see its effects? See, you ought to be able to see the effects of the wind of the Spirit in me and I ought to be able to see them in you. I don't know when it's coming or where it's going, but I can know if it's having an effect on you and I can feel whether it's having an effect on me. That's being born again. Does that make sense? You're saying, what is he talking about? Well, you're in good company because Nicodemus says, how can these things be? See, when you study the scripture, when they ask a question, it's already in your mind. You are tracking rightly. This is the depth of the gospel. We have made it shallow. I've heard people say, well, I've heard all that. You haven't plumbed plumbed these depths yet. Nicodemus was confused by what he was hearing. It was counter to everything he thought about becoming part of God's kingdom, wasn't it? And some of you right now are going, what? I've never heard this. We prayed this morning that we would all have ears to hear. You've heard it, but you may not have heard it. See, look at who Nicodemus is. He's been striving toward God. He's not an unrighteous guy. He's likely a very righteous man in terms of behavior. Not righteous in terms of with God. But humanly speaking, he was better than most. Far better than most. And so he's, he's been so meticulous about not only obeying the, the law of Moses, but all the rules that had been made up for him to obey. You know, they, they, had, they had hundreds of rules that were the way that you followed the law. I've told y'all before, Sabbath rules, you know, you can't work on the Sabbath. And in Israel, how many of y'all have been to Israel before? Well, on the Sabbath, you can't push the button in the elevator. Because that's considered work. So there's an elevator that stops on every floor. Avoid that elevator. <laughs> but, but there were all these rules. All these applications of how you obey the law. Meticulous. And he was doing them all. And so how does he release all his beliefs about what it takes to be right with God? How does he look at the fact that he's been obeying the law and he'd been recognized by the people and he'd been elevated to the Sanhedrin because he was so righteous and so well regarded. And Jesus is saying, none of that matters. You must be born again. It's hard for him to accept. You know what, it's hard for some of you to accept. Some of you sat in church all your life. All your lives. And maybe this morning, for the first time, you're hearing something you have never heard before. You need a new birth by God's Spirit. You don't need to do something. You know, somebody said, why don't y'all give invitations? Well, we we offer prayer time. You know why? Because I don't want to produce a process that is promising that you're saved if you do what I prescribe because I don't have the power to promise that. Does that make sense? That's not my business. My business is to preach the gospel. I wish I could bag up the Holy Spirit. I wish I could give you to inhale him. The whole time I was preparing this, I remember Heckle and Jekyll caught this one breeze, you know. And the, there was no breeze. They were hot and they captured it. And then they were, started fighting over who got it. But that's beyond my control. You know what I'm saying? If I tell you, do this, this, and this, and you're saved, then later on when you see God and he says, why aren't you saved? You can, you'll say, well, Perry told me if I did this and this and this, I'd be saved. I don't want to be Your guarantee. Because I don't have the power of promising that. That's the Spirit of God. Jesus continued, verse 10. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? See, the Old Testament, y'all saw it in Ezekiel. The Old Testament included teaching about being born again, didn't it? I'll take your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll place my spirit within you. Some of you might have been surprised that that was even in the Old Testament. But the spirit is very present in the Old Testament. He wasn't, he wasn't given in a way like he is since Pentecost where when you're born again, he stays. But he always came. And he gifted sometimes with talent. Sometimes, but he gave you new birth. See, David had to be born again. Moses had to be born again. Abraham had to be born again. They didn't have a different system. And he says, I assure you, in verse 11, we speak what we know. And and I'm assuming that we there is like Jesus, his disciples, John the Baptist. It could be the Trinity. Because it's a plural, obviously a plural pronoun. And we testify to what we've seen, but you do not accept our testimony. How did he know? How did he know? Flip your page, one page. 37, the bottom of the text. Verse 24. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man. For he himself knew what was in man. He knows us intimately. He knew Nicodemus intimately. You say, well, Nicodemus was being friendly and and, and cooperative. But Jesus knew what was in there. Jesus knew the doubt. He saw it. Just like he did with the rich young ruler. I have told you about things that happen on earth. New birth by the Spirit. And you, now it's a plural pronoun, so he's talking about you, the Jews, or at least the religious teachers. And you don't believe it. So how will you believe if I tell you things about heaven? You don't even understand this point of what happens on earth in the new birth. Why do you want me to try to tell you things that happen in the heavenly realm, but you certainly can't understand? The plan of redemption, the relationship of the Trinity, the nature of heaven. And Nicodemus is an expert in the Old Testament law. Pharisees would memorize the first five books. He was a proud member of the religiously elite Pharisees. He was a privileged member of the ruling council. But he just couldn't bring himself to say it's been all for naught. We don't usually have as much of that problem. Some of you may be struggling with that. So I've, I've obeyed God all my life. And now he's talking about being born again. In our culture, it's more, we do believe if you do these steps, you're born again. And you never have to care about it, do anything about it, show any evidence of it. That's more the deception of our culture. But Nicodemus is struggling here. Because he's ignorant of what Jesus is even talking about. And he's a scholar. But he's confused. He's deeply confused. And Jesus continues, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. In other words, only he knows about heavenly reality. And then he says... Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now this is a reference to an incident that occurred in the Exodus. Look at Numbers 21 on the screen. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread or water. We detest this wretched food, the manna. They were starving until they started getting it. Now they're sick of it. They want to order something else. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them, so many of them died. And the people then came to Moses and said, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord, so he will take the snakes away. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. Then anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. When anyone... So, Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. And whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. That seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Let's just be honest. That seems ridiculous. What sense does that make? Here's what sense it makes when you look, you're acknowledging, I'm sick. I'm guilty. And I'm looking, believing you really will heal me. The bitten Israelites were cured by depending on what God said through Moses. That's faith. Faith is not you mustering something to make God do something. Faith is being utterly dependent on what God promised, what he said. Well, I have faith that I'll get this car, I'll get this spouse, I'll get this house. You can't have faith in that. You can ask it unless God, if God promised you that, you can have faith in it. But we only have faith in what God's told us. You see? It's about believing his promises. He said, you look at this snake, you'll be healed. And Jesus continued. So the son of man must be lifted up. What does that refer to? At least crucifixion, but perhaps even resurrection and ascension. So that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life which is just sharing in the, the life of Christ. That's eternal life. And so Jesus here is referring to believing in, looking to, trusting in his life, crucified, resurrected, ascended, to be cured from sin's deadly sting. See, the problem is we go, well, who wouldn't do that? Mm-mm. It's deeper than that. You're saying, I'm riddled with guilt, I'm filled with sin, I'm relying on you to forgive. That's what faith is. It's not simple and shallow, it's significant and weighty. And your entire life and all your eternity is reliant on God's word. You know that? If this word is not true. Now this this one is a printed book. But you know what I'm saying. It represents. If God's word is not true. Either there is no heaven. Or we're not headed there. We live by faith based on what God tells us. That's why I'm so earnest trying to get us to know what God's telling us. Have you experienced the reality of new birth? Have you experienced the reality of new birth? How do I know? Well, it isn't just claiming the facts. There will be a change in your nature. My little grandboy, there's a, he's definitely in the room. It's undeniable. That he's he's there. When the spirit of God is in you. It's undeniable. And some changes get made. Summarized. You'll suddenly love God. You'll love his word. You'll love his people. If you're indifferent to God's word. If you don't care whether you go to worship. If none of those things matter to you. You may not be passing the test. Because these things will matter to you because you have a relationship with God. You see what I'm saying? You'll love God. You'll love his people. You'll love his word. You'll want to serve him based on love. Not to try to earn something, but out of your deep appreciation for what's been done for you. You'll give of your money. You'll give of your time. Because of the relationship. You'll be convicted of sin, not because, not because you're scared of getting punished, but because you don't want to please someone you love. Isn't that right? The reason for new birth, I made a mistake, I put of new birth, but the reason for new birth, John three sixteen. This is probably the most familiar passage that most of us know. For God loved the world in this way, he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Perish is eternal punishment, separation from God, what we call hell. God loved this lost world, which would shock Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus as a Jew thought God loved who? Who? Only Jews. But the Abrahamic covenant said that Abraham would be a blessing for all people. See, they they overlooked all these things. You know, have you noticed how we do that? We read something and we overlook it. Well, no, I'm I'm gonna live by my rules here. Be careful. Be careful. Because of his love, God offered one way to be saved. One way to be forgiven, one way to receive new birth, to inherit eternal life. By dependence, reliance on what his son came to do and did. John 14, 6, the way, the truth, and the life. God's offer of salvation extended to all mankind. Not only Jews, but also Gentiles. That's us. We have a few Jewish folks here as well. For God did not send his son, it's verse 17, into the world that he might judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Have you experienced the love of God? You know, that's a very common experience. When we're born again, we feel a deep sense of love, acceptance, cleansing, forgiveness. Do you know that God loves you? Because if you know it, that's a motivating factor in your life. It's not a minimal factor. It's a motivating factor, major factor. And finally, we reflect on the result of new birth. Anyone who believes in him is not judged. But anyone who does not believe is already judged. Because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. See, the lost world already has judgment on it. Unbelief carries judgment in this life too. Belief goes beyond, as I've said over and over this morning, beyond intellectual acceptance of facts. It includes a self-denying trust, dependence on, submission to Jesus as the Lord of your life. Not just your ticket into heaven, but he becomes the ruler of your being. And it'll be evidenced by changed life. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked thing hates the light and avoids it. So that his deeds might be exposed. Why do you think that this culture hates Christians so violently? Because not, there aren't that many Christians, let's be honest, that are shouting with bullhorns. You know, you're all sinners or anything. But our lives stand on a principle of what is right and what is wrong. And they don't want to hear it, even when we're not saying it. Are you standing on a rock? See, just the fact that you stand on a rock and you just say, your life says, no, this this kind of life in in our culture is immoral. It's against God whether it be premarital sex, homosexual sex, all this is against God. So that's why they so want to just rip you out, silence you. But here's the point. It's not even us talking. It's God's Spirit bringing that conviction. And, and you know, sometimes when you're miserable inside, it's the Spirit. Now, you're mad at your husband. But no, no, that conviction is coming from God's Spirit saying, no, 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 no. Jump to John 3, 21. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light. See, we'll come to the light, even though we have sin in our lives, but we know that we're coming to one who loves us. We're convicted of sin, but see, there's a difference. When you punish a child wrongly, the child is mad and goes and hides. When you punish a child rightly, the child comes for redemption. For nurturing, that's the way. When we know we have sin, and because it burdens us too. And we can go to God and have it cleansed by, by his spirit. We hate our sin. We love righteousness. So that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. True saving faith is always displayed through works. Look at your life. What is in your life that would show a watching community that you belong to God? If we look at your checkbook, if we look at your schedule, what shows true saving faith is always displayed? Well, you say, well, where are you leaving Nicodemus? Well, in this passage, there's no evidence that he came to Christ. In other passages, there are. Nicodemus defended Jesus publicly in front of the Sanhedrin. John 7, 50 and 51. You remember what he did after Jesus' crucifixion? He and Joseph of Arimathea prepared Jesus' body for burial. Works that indicate genuine faith. I think he was saved. I think he was born again. What about you? Have you experienced new birth? And how does it show? There'll be counselors here. There'll be counselors in the care connection room. They'll be happy to talk to you about about faith in Christ. They'll be happy to pray with you. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. You say, I need to look to the brass serpent so that I can be healed, forgiven. Jesus has been lifted up for you. Will you look? Father, we thank you for your word. Show us where we stand. And Lord, if we really are not your child, let us come this morning. Lord, please draw many into your family today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.